Hey everybody, Happy New Year! This episode drops for our wonderful members. It is New Year's Day, and we made it. We made it to 2021. We closed the door on 2020, and we're on to something new. But are we? Really? What is 2021 more than an arbitrary flip of a calendar page? It is so powerful to so many of us because we invest that power in the new year. I'm not great at resolutions. I don't usually set them myself, but I know more than a few people who live by their resolutions, who are able to make change in their lives in no small part because they believe in the power of change that comes in our collective embrace of transformation at the new year. And why do I say all that? Because our guest this week is a practitioner in the language of dreams. Now, I know as a reasonably experienced student of self that dreams are powerful. But like the new year, our dreams are only as powerful as the time and investment we make in learning about them, understanding them. Linda Odom is a gatekeeper of sorts. She's a clinical psychologist in Nashville, and while much of her work is around healing and recovery, she has a special knack for dream work. She teaches classes and workshops in which she teaches people how to access their own inner guidance through the language of dreams. Here's an interesting lesson learned for me, in fact. I tend to be somewhat cavalier about my dreams. I'll talk about them casually as a good source for table humor at dinner, that sort of thing. But after a few minutes with Linda, working through her simple exercise at the end of this episode, she had me. I was a mess. In fact, I think I've turned to realize just how disrespectful I've been in treating my own dreams as superficial comedy when they're working so hard to be my teachers. Our great thanks to Linda for her time to sit down with Dodge and educate us all. And thanks to you, as always, for your commitment to the work. Welcome to the show, Linda. Thank you, Don. Thanks for having me. We've long been close friends, but you're, you know, you're a colleague I've looked up to for all of those years uh, for all kinds of things. I love how you are with clients. I love the experiential work you do, but I have especially been fascinated by the way you work with dreams. Um, every time I see a little announcement of one of your dream groups coming up, I'm like, oh, oh, I want to be in it. I want to be in it. So this just has been a conversation I've looked forward to for a long time. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it, too. Good. So much of how you approach dreams is through Carl Jung's way of understanding them. Remind us a little bit about who Carl Jung was and why he has been such an influence on your long career. Gosh, Carl Jung was a um, Swiss psychiatrist. He was born in 1875 and he died in 1961. And he was first a, a protege of um, Sigmund Freud's. Hmm. And through as circumstances, their relationship unfolded. And as Jung himself unfolded as a being, they parted ways. And he went on to create a, a paradigm of thinking about things that has always really, really been compelling to me, very compelling. And I was fortunate enough when I was an intern 150 years ago 
uh, <laughs> in Los Angeles. <laughs> um, I had two primary teachers, and one of them was a young analyst, and I just it was like Alice in Wonderland, you know, falling down the rabbit hole. It was like, wow, mm. I, I found my my planet, my universe, mm. and uh, it's it's been ever expanding from from there all this time. It still fascinates me endlessly. He's such a good fit for you, and really for me. He's, I mean, if I if I could start my career over again, it would be to look for a Jungian influence early, early on, and get me started down that road. Part of what I love about Jung is he's he goes beyond just working with the uh, the unconscious, as Freud would. Um, he's which was already an incredible insight, but I see him as as working with this uh, this higher aspect of self in ways that um, that that Freud didn't, and that very few others have ever really had access to. He, he is he he blends the world of the psychological and the spiritual like very few true masters of uh, visionary thought ever have, and in many ways was just way beyond his time. Yeah, he was truly a, a very unique genius, and that was both the pain of his life always from childhood over childhood, uh, but also the glory of his life, you know, that he was uh, he was such a one-of-a-kind being among us and uh, such a source of light because he was willing to seek that light inside himself, no matter what the cost of that was. So one of my favorite... Um quotes by Carl Jung is, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. I love that. I love that. Yes. Until you make the unconscious conscious. That's so powerful. That, that says in so few words, so many things. <laughs> it's so Jung, right? I mean, this guy could boil down just a life-changing reality into a single sentence. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Yeah. And one of the ways he worked most originally and masterfully, I think, was around dreams. And it's no wonder that you'd, you'd want to look at dreams the way Carl Jung would, because um, it's such a wonderful way for the unconscious to speak to the conscious. So yeah, go on from there. Why why are dreams so important, like to this change process? Oh, oh gosh, that's a <laughs> that's, that's big. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think I've shared this with you before, but there's a Jungian analyst named James Hollis, who many people maybe listening to this will know. James Hollis has written many many books, and he has done a lot to make the thinking of Carl Jung accessible to the general public. But he said, uh, he was in Nashville a couple of years ago, and one of the things he said was, when a new client comes to see me, it's never about what it's about, and that dreams tell us what it's really about. And I find that to be true. And sometimes hmm. even in a first session, if someone has a dream, a recent dream particularly, that they remember maybe shortly before they've come to their first therapy session, oftentimes it will take us immediately to a very deep place down to the 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 core issues for that person yeah things that they have are not even aware of themselves about why they have come i mean so there are folks out there who are like what do you mean they don't know why they've come what in the world is that supposed to mean like they've they've dialed your number they've come through the door they say i'm going through a divorce or i'm anxious a lot or i can't sleep or i'm depressed uh how in the world is that not why they're there my, my initial response to that is that those are really symptoms. Those are not the 
the deeper level, the deeper issue. And so those are clues. Those are consequences of whatever the deeper issues are. But the dreams take us down and begin to tell us from where are these symptoms originating? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard you say in the past that when our our histories are overwhelming to us and our feelings about the, our, our histories are more than we can bear, which is true for everybody to some degree, we kind of put them behind a wall, a wall of awareness at some level. And it's really our bodies and our dreams that start to show us, hey, there's something over there that we need to deal with now. There's something over there that's wanting to speak to us, that's, that's needing our attention. Yeah, so we, we all grow up in situations that are not perfect. We grew up in places where uh, we may not feel safe, or in some cases we may even experience trauma. And those, uh, those experiences of those traumas carry with them fear, pain, sadness, feelings that we've never had a chance to express, and we may not have even expressed them to ourselves. But like you say, we, we put those feelings away. We put them behind walls. Uh, so that we can continue to function without being overwhelmed or in chronic pain. But then those feelings don't go anywhere. And they, you know, we put them behind walls and we, we develop what I call like these inner guards to protect those walls. But those feelings are constantly pressing. They're like energy. They're pressing to get out. And the guards are constantly 24-7 to contain them. And so... What we experience is like chronic tension or chronic anxiety or physical symptoms. And those are the things that we're trying to stay away from. You know, we're trying to avoid them. We're trying to distract ourselves from them. Uh, We're trying to turn away from them and live as though they're not there. Hmm. So we don't realize, uh, a friend of mine uses this phrase, we live at war with ourselves. Hmm. Hmm. We don't realize that those things we're trying to avoid are the things we need to turn toward. You know, those are the things we need to reclaim as part of our experience. We're, we've lost parts of ourselves in trying to separate ourselves from this discomfort. So a lot of my work with people is about helping them develop tools for, well, how do you turn toward those things? How do you give them a voice? How do you let them start expressing themselves? and begin a dialogue with them. Sometimes I'll say to clients, let's try to imagine that the goal here is not just to help you get back to comfortable, it's to help you move forward to fully whole, which means we have to find all those disowned, disintegrated parts of you that have been, uh, I guess, exiled. Yeah, locked away. And those would be, they're in a sense relegated to the shadows. This is the shadow that that Carl Jung has introduced and is part of our kind of our modern lexicon. But a lot of folks don't really understand what that means. What is this shadow? And it's it's all those elements of self that we can't, we, that we haven't fully integrated. Um, well, yeah. Is that and, fair uh, to it, say? Yeah, well, yeah, I would say even more strongly, it's not just that we haven't integrated them, but we've really almost tried to amputate them. Yes. You know, or we've tried to put them in the cellar or we put them in a prison or um, we put them in the closet. Right. We, 
uh, we've, <laughs> like from Harry Potter, we put them in the Chamber of Secrets, you know, and we put a three-headed yeah. dog out in front to guard those right. secrets, you know. Um, but yes, and Jung said, all healing comes from the shadow. Hmm. Well, some might wonder why in the world would I want to be reunited with, you know, my violent self, my lustful self, my murderous impulses, my, you know, depressed, hopeless parts. And that in itself is worth exploring. Um, but let's remember for the record that the shadow also includes all of these amputated, disowned parts of the self that are too beautiful to imagine to be true. And so it's all stuff we can we can access, you know, in our waking lives, often just through our projections, right? Like, you know, the 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 negative things I'm most reactive to in somebody else tend to be elements of myself I've most, you know, pushed away. But also the things I most admire in others tend to be aspects of myself that I haven't fully, you know, owned as true also. Absolutely, yes. Um, and I would say, gosh, there's so many things I would say in response to that. Um, when you talk about things like my murderous impulses, once we uh, we begin to approach, the, let's say, the scary part of me because it seems murderous or rageful, a lot of times that extreme version of that part is because it's been denied it's been disowned it's been neglected and, and um rejected and it's not really when we start to talk with it often it leads us back to some deeper understanding of what has happened to me you know have i been abused have i had some major trauma that i've never had a chance to deal with and so is there anger coming uh, appropriate anger rage coming from something i've actually experienced that i need to reclaim so that i can start to heal that and has it gotten louder and louder just so it, we could hear it at all? Because exactly. it's been denied for so long in its exactly. normal form. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how much compassion we end up feeling when we can encounter that in a different way. And the dream, you know, coming back to our main subject today, like ends up being a a beautiful way the unconscious mind comes back to the conscious to say, hey, you're missing something. There are aspects of you you don't know about that are really worth knowing yeah you know dreams are always trying to tell us something that be goes beyond what we already know or what's already in our awareness we're talking about the, these disowned parts of ourselves one of the sacred things about dreams is they allow me to encounter more and more parts of myself the light parts and the dark parts and the in-between and the more i can the more parts of me I can own and claim and begin to integrate, the fewer of those I'm going to project onto you or the other people who are closest to. Let's double click on parts of self for just a minute. Um, most of us looking from the outside would say we're a, we're a fairly unified self. I mean, I know Linda as just one Linda. I don't know a lot of Lindas. Um, certainly don't know any other Lindas like you. Um, but you're you're speaking to a subtler concept here of our internal experience. What do you what are you saying about aspects of self? Well, I, I think you've said it pretty well. You know, we think of ourselves as the single, unified, consistent person, but what we really are is this uh, very rich and very complex community of parts. You know, 
people have heard these um, dramatic stories about like the three faces of Eve, you know, people who are, whose parts are so separate that they function autonomously. And they think when we start talking about having lots of parts, they go, well, that's kind of a scary thought. Is that what you mean? Like I've got, you know, I'm functioning as different people and I don't know it. No, but we all have many, we all have, let's say a part for every age we've ever been. We all have, um, you know, some of our parts are very different from one another. Not that they're completely separate, but different parts of me have different feelings or different um, sets of perceptions or maybe sometimes even different beliefs, like they're wearing different glasses about how they view the world. It, the other thing, you know, experiential therapy, where we do role play like psychodrama, where you can enroll people as different parts of yourself and then step into each of those roles and get to experience that part of you uh, mm. is so rich. That's a wonderful way to encounter some of your parts. And then to, to begin to bring them all to the table and integrate them, like you said, that word wholeness, it's a very satisfying experience to have more and more of yourself as part of your conscious functioning. Yeah. Um, the wonderful Jerry Campbell, who I I hope will come and be a, a guest someday in the future, taught me many years ago his definition of mental health. And literally every client I've ever worked with has heard me talk about this at some point because I think it's so vital to anybody's path. His definition is the tolerance and hardiness for mixed, mixed contradictory feelings. And I tend to add the word and ideas. But really, in a sense, what he's talking about is these mixed contradictory selves at any given point, like we're pretty ambivalent. One part of me feels really hopeful, another part of me not so much. One part feels really angry, but another part feels love toward the same exact person. And if I can only have one of those at a time, I can't ever be angry at someone I'm lo I love, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I can't ever love anymore somebody I feel angry at. Mm -hmm. And so I have to take mm -hmm. one of these and push them away, right? Or yeah, I love that. Or I toggle back and forth between the two, and that's what makes me feel and look kind of crazy from the outside. Is that I'm I can move from extreme to extreme instead of holding in both places. I love you, but I feel mad. Or I'm scared, but I'm also hopeful enough to go forward. Or I'm deeply sad, but some part of me feels hopeful that there's healing in my future at the same time. Yeah, or even just for me, the experience of letting myself, my feelings are sad, to just let myself feel those and maybe even put a pen in my hand and let that part of me write a poem or speak or express itself. It's just so satisfying. It's so fulfilling and becomes part of my myself's ability to have creative expression. You've got to let all those parts express themselves. You shared with me before, dreams are messages from the unconscious self to the conscious mind that are working to push us past the, our usual defenses Yes, and what we already know into the truth of our experience and our deeper selves. Yes. And they show up in more than one way. Like, they're not all dreams are alike. And I've heard you talk about there being kind of four different ones. Do you want to say more about that? The different kinds of dreams? Yeah. This is not a sort of oversimplified way of uh, categorizing dreams, but the first I just call ordinary dreams, which means this is a dream that's come to bring me some new awareness about myself. Hmm. That's the way I normally work with dreams, and we can talk about that more. And then there are what I call uh, clairvoyant dreams, which come to give us actual information about 
current circumstances that we have no way of knowing in our waking life. Like, do you have an example of that as a dream ever given you information about something that was going on that you didn't know? Yeah, yeah, I can I can think about that. Um, my wife in particular um, has dreams like that uh, and has had them plenty of times. I mean, she's, she's helped lots of couples get together because she'll dream that they're getting married and then she'll go mention this and say, hey, you need to meet so-and-so and sure enough, they'll get married. Um, wow. So there have been moments where she'll come to me and say, "I'm oh gosh, I had one of those dreams. It was really vivid. Someone's going to die or somebody's having an affair or I mean, things like that. I mean, it's amazing. Wow. Yeah, so sometimes we get actual information. And there are also what I call prophetic dreams, which tell us about things like you mentioned, things that are going to happen in the future. Mm -hmm. um, and examples for me would be, and I think this is, happens commonly, in the in the week, months and weeks before 9-11, I began to have dreams in which bits and pieces of that experience uh, were happening to me. And of course, I couldn't recognize the thing about clairvoyant and prophetic dreams is you you can only recognize them in retrospect. So you know, I always tend to think, oh, well, this is symbolic in some way. You know, I wonder what this what this means about me. Um, and also, I guess the most profound example for me of a prophetic dream is that I had a dream about my daughter ten years before she was born. She was shown to me, and I was told things about her nature and her name wow. and um and actually she ended up coming to me by adoption and her adoption was legally finalized 10 years to the day from when i had that dream wow that's amazing so uh but you know we can't know those things at the time that they're given to us yeah. we can only know them later uh, and then there are what I call uh, divine guidance dreams, dreams, like you said, to, that come to give you information about specific uh, dilemmas or decisions that you're trying to make, or something that you're trying to um, grapple with. And um, have you ever had one of those where you were given mm. specific guidance about something in particular? I think I have. The, what comes to mind first is a dream that was an answer really to a prayer in a way. I had a dream once where as a young man, I'd had a really tough conversation with somebody and I was going to sleep feeling really doubtful about whether the divine existed at all. I mean, it was just sort of a low moment of like, is that is there anyone really over there? Or is this entirely of my own, you know, imagination? So I said a prayer that was you know, God, if you could come to me in some way in a dream, I'd really appreciate that. That would mean a lot to me. Mm -hmm. So I went to sleep and I had this dream that I was standing among my relatives at my grandmother's funeral. She had already passed. Um, and we're all standing in black and we're huddled together having a conversation. And I see her walking in this beautiful purple dress among us and no one else can see her. And she's looking right at me and smiling. And it's that sort of twinkly smile of, you and I have this fun secret, don't we? And nobody else knows. And wow. then the dream went on to me trying to explain this to my dad. Um, I'm saying, Dad, sh she's here. She's really here. I'm not kidding. He's like trying to comfort me and say, no, she's really not. She's passed away. And I'm like, no, I just saw her. I'm not kidding. And just then, 
a person who was really very much a mother figure to him and another grandmother to me comes walking down the hall. She's also long since passed in this beautiful pale yellow dress. And she's looking right at me and walking right to me. And I, you know, his mouth is hanging wide open. My jaw is on the floor. She walks right up to me and she gives me this huge hug. And as she does, there's this immense flow of energy from her body into mine. Like just pure bliss. Love, 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 love. I mean, it was almost overwhelming. And then she stepped back and I could see in her eyes, there's the answer to your prayer. And I woke up. Right? So less like Mm -hmm. guidance, but very much like divine um, communication. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, wow, that's... What a precious gift, yeah. and how precious of you to share that. It, well, it's it's really it's also changed my experience. Like, it's one of those dreams where, you know, any of our intellects could pass that off as well. That's what I would want to be true. So I had this dream about it, but it doesn't wake. You don't wake up feeling that way, and I can still feel it now mm-hmm. as I tell that dream. Like it, there is a kind of truth that just sits in your body that you, your mind can't wrap itself around, and so it was the answer I needed. Wow, and I, I love that the colors were given to you too as a way to kind of intensify that the immediacy of that experience and that communication. Yes, everybody in black and gray except the ones from the other side. Yeah. Wow. It's really beautiful. So dreams come to us then speaking this language of symbols and metaphors like this, don't they? Yeah, I think that's important to share with people that, you know, we receive these these precious messages every morning with these uh, letters of light but if we're going to receive them and and we're going to really communicate with our dreams we have to learn the language that they use and they use the language of symbols and metaphors and that that takes a little bit of reorientation i think and you know, they, they will sometimes borrow images from our waking lives to create these little stories, these little psychodramas. The hardest part for me working with my dreams is to remember to think beyond the literal of what shows up in my dreams and then to begin to understand what these symbols and metaphors are trying to convey. You know, you can't look them up in a book because a, a symbol or a metaphor can mean one thing in my dream and something else in yours. You know, one thing in my dream tonight, something else in my dream next week. So we have to learn how to work with them to let them reveal to us their their messages or their meaning at that particular time. Yeah. And that's an interesting process. I mean, in a sense, the best I've been able to do with that is is to allow myself to remember so if the dream's coming out of my unconscious i can keep accessing my unconscious even as i interpret the dream right so if i can say well somebody arrived on whatever a magnificent horse i don't know what a horse means to everybody else but i could ask myself what do i associate right now today with horses like does that take me to Mm -hmm. a a person or a memory or yeah like like if you were imagine that you were that horse what would you say about yourself? Right. Now, that takes us to something really neat, because the thing that Carl Jung does that I don't think anybody else does that I love the most um, is to imagine that every aspect of the dream is some aspect of me. So the horse would be a part of me. The rider yes. would be a part of me. 
the one who's standing on the ground who thinks he is Dodge is looking at both of them. And that's a part of me. And so, you know, the grandmothers in their purple and yellow are parts of me. You know, that's dreams have many different levels. Right. And so, you know, I always start with the symbolic level. What does the woman in purple, you know, if I were going to imagine being her, what would I say about myself? And I might say, well, I have so much love for Dodge, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Or I feel um, really close to God. Or there's an aspect of me that's already on the other side that's looking back on this human self with much love and willingness to, to give me energy and help. Right. And so there's that level. And then there's these other levels. Dreams can have uh, aspects of all of the levels of dreams we talked about. They can have the symbolic and then they can also be uh, a clairvoyant piece of some real information in there. Or there can be some a prophetic piece of letting you know something that's coming into your life or some bit of divine guidance, uh, which I think your dream certainly shows. Mm. You know, working with all all of those levels, but always starting with, for me, the symbolic is the most useful in terms of expanding my awareness about myself. Yeah. One thing I find tricky especially if I'm longing for guidance, right? If I'm hoping a dream is a dream of guidance, sometimes it's hard to discern between guidance and hidden fears or wishes, right? Like, let's say I'm I'm trying to make a big decision and what comes to me next are elements that I already know are one of my fears around this decision. Is that my deepest self or maybe even the divine saying, yes, those should be respected? Or is that my unconscious working out some of its fears and processing through those? And I should keep at it and and wait a little longer to see if that's guidance or just an element of fear I'm working through. Same with the wishes. Maybe I would get something that sounded really hopeful, but how do I know it's guidance? You know, we can approach our dreams from from a logical place, like thinking about them. Like, okay, is that a wish or is that a Hmm. warning? But we can drop down to another level of exploration, which is, you know, visiting, spending time with the dream, like if there's a a figure or an element in the dream that you associate with a fear, like we said, turning toward whatever that is, opening up a dialogue with it, finding out what it would say to you. Mm. Uh, That's not something you can think your way to. That's something you have to open yourself to. So you you caught the hidden trick question in there that I didn't even know was part of it, right? It's like there's this aspect of me and so many who wants to figure out like, well, so if if the dream is a puzzle, let me just solve the puzzle and then I'll have my (laughs) area. But that's all from a thinking part of me that was already never going to get to what I needed to know. So I have to drop into it further. Talk more about how you do that. I mean, you're going to lead us through a wonderful exercise later. And I get that. But... Part of how you do this, I know, is to work in groups in experiential ways, right? To, to even create psychodramas around the dreams themselves so that they can come really alive in a way we can see and feel and interact with. Tell us more about that. Just to describe that process, I kind of alluded to it a minute ago, but let's say that you're in the group and you've brought with you tonight a particular dream that you want to uh, receive more of its messages so you might ask another group member to take the role of 
a person or a thing in the dream. You might also ask a group member to uh, enroll themselves as some part of yourself, like maybe your child self or maybe your observer self, which is always very helpful, or maybe your um, higher self, the part of you that really contains that deeper wisdom. And then you would arrange those people playing those various roles in whatever way was meaningful to you from your experience of the dream. Hmm. And then you step out of that picture and look at it. And you would ask yourself, well, where does my attention go when I look at all of this? Hmm. And wherever that, where your attention goes is the first role that you would step into. You would ask that person to step out and you would step into that role of that part of yourself or that aspect of your dream. And then as whatever that was or whoever that was that you stepped into, you start speaking about yourself. Well, tell us about you. You know, what, what's going on with you? What are you feeling? What are you experiencing? Mm. You know, and, and then it would just unfold. So it, so the dream speaks through you mm. as you step into each of these aspects. Mm. For those who've heard some of our prior episodes, um, you'll hear Ted Klontz's influence on Linda Odom coming through right there. I mean, that's a beautiful way to to use one of the ways he loves to work with with people and the aspects of self that we don't understand. But you're doing that in the dream world, putting that together with young stuff. So cool. It's very it's, it's very moving. It's very moving to watch. Can you think of an example you can share? Maybe, you know, shifting a few of the identifying informational bits, but like, is there, can you think of a a group where something's unfolded like that and you've seen a real shift in somebody? Well, um, I can talk about an experiential piece, but it wasn't a dream. You know, it's interesting, Dodge, like, I don't retain people's dreams because I think they are, You know, like I say to people, if you want to remember your dreams when you first wake up, don't move your body before you review those memories, because you start to, it's like coming up from the ocean. You, if you come up too fast, you break up those memories and you don't bring them with you. Mm. And I think when we're working in this way, we're kind of down in the water, you know, Mm. we're sort of down in the dream state or down in the ocean. And when we come up from that work, we don't necessarily bring those we might bring what we learned, but we don't necessarily bring the memories of the specifics of that dream with us. I know what you mean. And you often work so much from the intuitive. I know when I'm working in that way, I can come back out and it's a, and and have very little memory shortly afterward of 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 what fully transpired there, right? So Right. It's often when people come back the next week and say, that was really, that changed everything. I am like, can you yeah. remind me what we talked about? Um, you know, I can <laughs> yeah. take a note right. afterward, right. but it's it's not the same as remembering right. it the way we were talking about. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and, and also the thing I, I just want to add that when you're working experientially, you have to be willing to have no idea where it's going to take you. Yeah. The client has no idea and I have no idea. Yeah. You have to be willing, and it's like a dream unfolding. It has you have to allow it to take to to lead you, and to be able to follow wherever it takes you. You know, and that's one of the things that's exciting about this kind of work. A, a dream work is like that too. When you delve into a dream, you don't have any idea where it's going to take you. Yeah, and people have to have a certain kind of emotional courage. Yes, to do either experiential work or dream work or 
putting them together to do both of those things. It takes a kind of professional courage as a therapist to do it too, right? I mean, that at some level you have to let go of being their guide in this realm and you're following them now. Yes. They're the only one yes. with a headlamp in, in this darkness. Yes. And you're, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. It's a, it's a very interesting process. So share a little bit, maybe just even about a, a, a psychodrama then, even if it weren't about a dream, like how, what does that mean? Okay. Yeah. I can give you an example of a, of a psychodrama that was particularly powerful. So I was working with a client one night. This is a woman who was in her early fifties and she had a dilemma. She was uh, abused by her father who was now elderly who lived in another state and she had a an older sister who lived in the same state as her father who she described as mentally ill and drug addicted and the older sister and the father were very still very enmeshed when the father's second wife died my client found herself in this conflict about feeling responsible to take care of the father. And yet he was the person who had abused her. Mm. So she was just locked into this intense conflict that she could not resolve and was attempting to be his caretaker from a distance. Mm. So in this piece, this experiential piece, she enrolled someone as her father, someone as her sister, someone as herself. And uh, then she stood back and sort of looked at it. Then she asked the person playing her to step out and she stepped into the role of herself and sort of descended into the the drama with her, with the father and the sister. So she was sort of immersed again in those family dynamics. And her comment was uh, that it felt like the worst thing in the world to be in that that enmeshed drama with these family members. So at some point, she had enrolled someone as her observer self, and I asked her to step out and to step into the role of her observer self. And so she did. She stepped out, and as her observer self, she just looked at the drama for a minute, and then she said with astonishment talking about her father she said he he doesn't want my help and she burst out laughing and she couldn't stop she laughed hysterically she laughed and laughed and laughed and then then the conflict was uh, broken and she turned her father's care over to the sister wow and you know she couldn't have worked that out in her head no matter how long she had tried isn't that amazing in one level, it's such a somber recognition and decision, and yet, like, clearly it arrived with this burst of joy. Isn't that fascinating how humor can show up right at the moment of greatest change? Yes, and I think humor is often a sign of change because, you know, when you are freed from an illusion that's holding you hostage and you realize the, <laughs> in a sense, ridiculousness of the way you've been holding yourself hostage, of the beliefs that you have held onto that have 
kept you in this prison, we almost have to laugh at ourselves. Like, oh, I could have had a VA, you know. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. And we and we all do that, you know. We all lock ourselves into these beliefs that somehow come out of what I call the family trance that we've all grown grown up in. And how do you get out of trance, you know? Well, experiential therapy is a, and standing out and moving into your observer self is a way to suddenly step out of the trance. Well, it's like that wise but hilarious old joke. Like, so imagine you're in a room with no doors and no windows in which you're trapped. How do you get out? The answer is stop imagining. <laughs> <laughs> Right, like <laughs> it's completely happening in your own head, and it sounds like right. that was this moment where she laughed like you and I just did at, oh my God, I've just been imagining that I was trapped here. There's nothing about this that imprisons me. It's okay to move on. Yeah. So it sounds like then when you work with dreams in this same sort of psychodramatic way, right, you will enroll group members as parts of the dream. Yes, yeah. you you essentially reenact the dream, and and right. the, the guide or the the dreamer will say. Okay, you're, you're you are going to sit like this, and you might talk like that, and you might look like this. Maybe we'll even hold an object or be draped with some color that helps yeah. bring yeah. it up. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so sh they then re-enter the dream in a in kind of a lucid waking state. Yes, and I get like to that. work it through. Yeah, I mean, you could say this thing that I just described uh, was a dream that she re-entered in a lucid way. Yes, it's it was a, a nice it was a daymare more than a nightmare, right? <laughs> yeah. Like it yeah. was her it was her her waking night terror. Yeah, and 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 really, this kind of work often produces like some revelation, something. You know how we say dreams come to tell us something that goes beyond what we already know. And when you're working experientially, almost always you come away with something that you really did not know. I'm trying to imagine having worked with you know psychodrama a lot in my life and career like i immediately get that i mean it's sort of broad you know ear to ear grin when i hear you talk about it and i'm trying to imagine as for our listeners like do they even know what we're talking about <laughs> like does this does this make sense yeah i th i think you've just you've described it well though i mean it's really this it's like you set up the structure for the conflict whether it's you know whatever the situation in this case it's I think is a brilliant way to approach a dream is is like so let's make this bring this dream into reality right now so you're going to act like you're sitting on this horse shoot maybe somebody would even play the horse if that was a significant part of the dream but you, yeah. you just you essentially set it up and then there's this beginning of like here's what I would need you to do to remind me enough of the dream and then you move in and out of being the, the observer self and and maybe the the dreamed self. One thing that's really neat to do also is, is to have somebody step into one of the other roles, you know, to let's say it's the angry father shows up in the dream. It can be really interesting to, to have the client for a moment, go stand in angry dad's shoes. No, absolutely. And, right? and, and all of the parts. Yes. Right. They get to stand in each of the roles. Yes. There you go. And, and be that because if it's a dream, all of those are parts of the dream. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly the point. Huh. Tell us a little bit about how, maybe a story of how a dream has um, brought change to your life. Well, I guess that I, I've already shared the most profound uh, dream experience for me was the one uh, about my daughter. Mm. 
so in this dream, I was told my daughter's name. Wow. And um, so as you know, the years go on, and I had written that dream down, and I felt at the time like it was a promise, like I'd been shown the person that was going to be my little girl someday. And I had shared that with some of the people uh, close to me. And so as the years went on and other things happened or didn't happen, you know, you think, well, I guess it was just a dream. Yeah. yeah. And um, so now roll forward 10 years and um, I'm entering into this potential adoption situation, something I never would have expected 10 years earlier that would be part of my life. And so I go to lunch with the adoption person and the birth mother, potential birth mother, and we're having lunch. And I say, well, have any names come to you for this baby? And she says, yeah. And I say, well, what? And she says the name I heard in my dream. Wow. That's incredible. So it wasn't even you coming up with the name again 10 years later. It was... That's amazing. And so it's like, you know, time just sort of stopped in that moment. Like, <laughs> I'll bet it did. You know? uh, and it was kind of like your dream about your, your grandmother. It was a clear moment of divine intervention, you know, where there was no doubt that God's hand was on all of our lives in that moment. And then when, uh, circumstances unfolded at that time this was um she was born on december 13th and adoptions were always finalized my dream was on january the 9th 1985 adoptions were always finalized on the first monday of the month well the first monday of the month was january 1st so it, it couldn't happen they moved it to january the 8th exactly 10 years to the day which is another way, I think, of being sure that I would understand that this was really yes. my child that had been promised to me all those years ago. <laughs> Dreams are amazing. But the other piece of that is we have to pay attention to them. We have to treat them like they are the sacred communications that they are. Because if I hadn't paid attention to that dream, if I hadn't written it down, I would have missed that whole communication. I would have not understood exactly what was happening there. Hmm. I really love what you just said. We have to pay attention to them as the sacred communications that they are. Mm -hmm. We tend to sort of treat them like throwaway sleep phenomena, uh, often rolling out of bed, moving our bodies before we've stopped to remember what we'd experienced. And maybe without a conversation like this, not even knowing that so much more is available. Yeah, yeah. and oftentimes we'll think, oh, well, I know what that dream's about. That's about what happened at work yesterday or, you know, forgetting that my unconscious is borrowing those images of what happened at work yesterday to bring something important to my attention, to my awareness, something that I don't know yet. I should point out, in your categories of dreams, Unlike many I've heard, um, there wasn't a category for ordinary 
you know, kind of random processing of the day. Like there wasn't there wasn't a version of dreaming that was just noise. Every one of them was potentially meaningful and perhaps extraordinarily so. That's a different way to look at them. Like all of them mean yeah. something. Yeah, like they're even, all jewels. They're all jewels, even if they may yeah. be reflecting something very familiar and recent. Yeah, and that's why keeping a dream journal is so important and valuable because sometimes the meaning of dreams unfolds over time. You know, as you keep track of them for a while, you begin to see, oh, I see what's unfolding here, you know, in my awareness. I've never gone and done much research about this because I just took it to be true, but an integrative psychiatrist once told me that that they'll ask whether their patients remember their dreams, and if they don't, uh, they note that as almost certainly an insufficiency of b- vitamin B12 huh. because it is so highly correlated and that when you huh. don't have enough B12 in the system, um, you tend not to remember your dream. So this person always recommends to somebody like that taking a methylated form of B12 to make sure it can be absorbed and taking a safe amount and so forth, whatever that may mean. Go check with your doctor. But um, but that can be one way that it really helps you uh, have more access to these sacred communications because otherwise they're harder to retain. Um, and that's, that's, that's made a difference to me. Well, it makes me wonder how various drugs we might be taking for different reasons, even let's say a drug for depression or anxiety might affect the ability to uh, like your television antenna, you know, the ability to receive these communications clearly. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You wonder. Lots of questions. Very interesting stuff. So let's say somebody heard this and thought, I'm missing something in my life. I'm missing these communications. I haven't treated them as sacred and maybe something, some deeper or higher part of myself and some unconscious part of myself really wants to get through to me and I've been ignoring it. What would you suggest they do next? You may be referring to the sort of four things I'll tell people about how to help them remember their dreams. And um, the first one is just as you're about to fall asleep, if you just remind yourself of your intention to remember, that's helpful. Secondly, Wake up as gently as you can. If you can uh, not be waked up by an alarm or something that's going to startle you awake, that's helpful. And third, once you realize you're awake, before you move your body, if you'll review the memories, that once you start, as we said, once you start moving your body, you tend to break those memories up. And then finally, if you'll keep a paper and pen beside your bed or close by, Whatever you are able to remember to bring back with you, even if it's just a fragment, if you'll write it down, if you'll honor it by writing it down, you know, the the more you honor what the unconscious gives you, the more it's going to offer you. Hmm. (laughs) That's wonderful. I know not everybody's quite inclined to journal. You know, some folks have just sort of got a block about it. Like, I just, I don't have time to pick up a pen and get near paper or whatever. For those folks, I do steps one, two, three, and then make sure you find a moment where you could tell somebody about it so it it sticks. You know, if I'll speak it out loud, it helps it uh, stay with me all day. Yes. And longer. Yeah, but writing it down is really wonderful. It means so neat to access later. That, that's a whole other conversation in a way, Judge. I feel like if you have somebody that you feel safe enough with to share your dreams and to say them out loud, 
it begins to um, make that part of your life more of an integrated part of your your own experience and your relationships. You know, it, it deepens your own uh, relationship with yourself and it deepens your relationship with other people. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm flashing back. You asked, you know, some time ago in our conversation today, have I ever had a prophetic dream? And quite a powerful one is coming back to me all of a sudden. Can I share that for a minute? Just Please, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I I had this dream that um, this was a time when I was separated um, in my you know from my first wife, and I had a dream that I was driving her to the airport, and as we crested the hill and arrived at at the where we were to arrive at the airport. I realized as I went to turn the steering wheel that it wasn't connected to the steering to the to the front wheels at all that I uh I wasn't in control of this car and I looked in the rearview mirror and she was sitting in the back seat I'd been chauffeuring her there and it turned out that she had been steering the car the whole way right and there was this moment of sort of horror, but also a little bit of amusement. I could see a big smile on your face, right? Of like, oh, how weird. I have not been in control of this situation at all, right? Um, and I woke up from that dream. I was like, whoa, that was intense. What is that about? And then weeks, maybe months later, I was driving to the, to the courthouse for, you know, our final moments as a married couple for a gavel to drop to say, okay, you're now making go on your separate ways. And it's early enough in the morning that I pull up uh, to a stoplight, nobody else on the road, and a car pulls up next to me, and it's she. And she rolls down the window and she waves at me, and I'm like, this is so surreal. And so she says, do you know the way? And I said, well, yeah, I've got directions. She said, great, I'll follow you. So we're driving to the Nashville courthouse, and I'm coming up this hill, and she is close enough on my bumper that in the rearview mirror, it looks like she's sitting in my back seat. And I realize as we come over this hill for a divorce that really, though it turns out in retrospect, was very wise and, you know, the right thing. It wasn't something that was initiated by me in that sense. And and I realize I, I remembered the dream. It comes back to me all at once. And I realize I am not steering this car and but mm-hmm. here we are at the airport for this departure, mm-hmm. right? And just then, tears that had been frozen for weeks. I mean, there was all this grief that had been backed up. I couldn't access it all. Suddenly pours out of me. And it was the link of the dream to the reality, the, the prophecy piece of it, that felt like I'd been given a key weeks or months before that could unlock kind of my heart in the moment when I needed to most. And... I couldn't get out of the car for several minutes. I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. But it was so healing and cleansing for me that I couldn't have accessed without that dream. My poor ex-wife was standing there outside my window wondering, do I go in? Do I wait for him to stop crying? Like, what's this about? Right? I'm sure you know, it's like one of those scenes, like right in a, kind of out of a movie. But I guess the important part is it was indeed a, a really profound message from some part of me that I was going to need in the future and not in that the next morning exactly that you were going to need in the future and that you wouldn't have been able to inhabit that moment in the future in the same way if you hadn't remembered that dream right right 
I was so grateful that I'd paused long enough to go, wow, that was intense and let it stick yeah. with me. Yeah. yeah. Well, for all of you dreamers out there, I, I hope you will hear these beautiful words. They are indeed sacred messages. And and one of the most sort of subtle and beautiful ways we can access change that we otherwise couldn't come to through sheer force of conscious will. Well, thank you for your time, Linda. I'm excited to hear your experiential exercise at the end of this episode. And I really appreciate you both today and, and uh, in my life as a long, long-term friend. Good to have Josh. This was really wonderful. Thank you so much for inviting me. Hey, it's Pete again, checking in. Linda is going to come back with our exercise, and you'll want to have some things handy. And this is important. It'll be more impactful if you go all in on this. First, you got to think of a dream, and then make sure you get the goods that she's asking you to collect. A pencil, a pad of paper, some crayons or markers. It'll be better for you if you do the whole thing. So if you're driving, you know, don't do it right now. You can listen. But come back and do this with the goodies, because it'll be great. Before she gets started, a quick reminder of our membership program here at The Change Paradox. We're a ragtag group of podcasters here at True Story FM dedicated to shows that educate, illuminate, and entertain. With your foundational support, we're able to invest more time in it, work with more guests and teachers, and grow the show in more powerful ways. Can we promise a direction to you? No, we change as we grow. But we can promise that we love this show and we love producing it for you. If you've thought about joining but haven't actually jumped on the computer to do the deed, think about the great philosopher Smash Mouth, who once said, we could all use a little change. Visit truestory.fm slash thechangeparadox. Your membership makes you a key part of the engine that is listener-supported podcasting. For as little as $5 a month, you can support the time we put into creating and producing the show. And just for members, we give you a second podcast. Every other week, I sit down with Dodge for a conversation about the interview for the week that you can only access through your personal podcast feed once you sign up. The show is called Afterthoughts, a chance for Dodge and me to have our conversation about their conversation. We share lessons learned, tools for integration, we talk about how our lives are changing as a result of that conversation, and we laugh along the way. Thank you all for joining us on this journey. Hey now, you're an all-star. And now, here's Linda, leading us through an exercise targeted at helping us all learn the sacred language of our dreams. want to give you an exercise that gives you a chance to work with one of your own dreams. You will need, you might want to take a minute to get these things together, you'll need a dream and it doesn't have to be a dream that seems like a big dramatic dream because all dreams are messages from our unconscious that are trying to bring something new to our awareness. So you'll need a dream and you'll need three pieces of paper. 
like nine by 11 or bigger. A small box of crayons or markers or colored pencils and a pen. I'll give you a few minutes to gather those things. Now I wanna encourage you to find a comfortable place to sit and to get comfortable there and close your eyes for a minute. Take a few slow, deep breaths. And just let yourself settle into this present moment. And as you begin to relax, call to mind your dream. Bring it as close to you as you can. Let it be as vivid as it as it was, if possible. And so let yourself re-enter the dream. Let yourself remember it as clearly as you can from beginning to end. Take your time. Allow yourself to feel the feelings that you felt in the dream. When you're ready, I want you to open your eyes slowly, gently, staying as close to the dream as you can. And I want to invite you to take one of those pieces of paper and whether you brought crayons or pencils or markers, I would like you to draw the dream. I would like you to include in your drawing every element that you would mention if you were telling the dream to someone. And the point is not to be an artist. It doesn't matter if no one else would recognize what these things are on the paper, as long as you know what they are. So take your time, draw your dream using as many colors as you can, and just being present with the dream as you are letting it appear on the paper. After you have drawn your dream, I would invite you to visit each of the elements in your picture, one at a time, 
There might be a person, there might be an animal, there might be a shoe, there might be a road, a house, a structure, whatever you have found yourself putting on the paper. And I want you to imagine that you are that element, whatever it is, that person, that dog, that shoe, that house. Imagine that you are that person or thing. So you might be playing that person or thing in a play. And I want you to make three statements about yourself as that thing, that person or thing. Those statements would begin with I. You're saying something about yourself. I am, I'm not, I want, I don't want, I, I do this, I don't do that, I love this, or I hate, fill in the blank, I need, fill in the blank, whatever it might be. And I want you to write those three I statements on your paper beside that, whatever that is that you're imagining yourself to be. Take your time. Once you've written your I statements, on your drawing. I invite you to take a second piece of paper and make a list of all of those I statements. When you finish your list, I invite you to take a few minutes, read over the list, recognizing that each of those statements is about you, some aspect of you. You may notice that some of them seem conflicting or contradictory. because all of our parts don't have the same feelings, needs, perspectives, beliefs. Remember, we are a complex and rich community of parts. After you have spent some time absorbing these I statements, if you want to take one more step, I invite you to take your third piece of paper. And on this piece of paper, you're going to translate this letter from your unconscious, this email from the deepest, wisest part of yourself that is written in a language of symbols and metaphors. 
You're going to translate the messages of this dream into words and sentences. So you're going to write a letter to yourself. Mine would start, Dear Linda. And I would begin writing what I perceive to be the messages of this dream. The guidance, the wisdom this dream is offering me. I'm going to put it down on a piece of paper that I can keep and hold. And if you have a person who you feel safe enough with, I encourage you to share your letter with someone else who can be your witness and who can receive these messages with you. Happy dreaming.